Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Jason, and I will be our conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to CWB's first quarter financial results conference column webcast. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. Mr. Patrick Gallagher, you may begin your conference. Good morning and welcome to our first quarter 2021 financial results conference call. My name is Patrick Gallagher and I'm the Vice President leading our strategy and investor relations team. I would like to remind listeners and webcast participants that statements about future events made on this call are forward-looking in nature and based on certain assumptions and analysis made by management. Actual results could differ materially from expectations due to various risks and uncertainties associated with CWB's business. Please refer to our forward-looking statement advisory on slide number 14. The agenda for today's call is on the second slide. Presenting to you today are Chris Fowler, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Matt Rudd, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Following their presentations, we'll open the lines for a question and answer session. I'll now turn the call over to Chris, who will begin his discussion on slide three. Thank you, Patrick, and good morning. We had a very strong start to the year. Our teams delivered first quarter financial performance that surpassed our expectations as we execute on our strategic objectives. While we benefited from a lower provision for credit losses this quarter, the primary driver of our strong financial performance was growth in our net interest income. Pre-tax, pre-provision income increased 12% compared to last quarter and improved our base case EPS expectations for the year. As we emerge from the pandemic, we may see a further upside if vaccine rollout occurs faster and opportunities to prudently grow loans accelerate earlier than currently anticipated. A key strategic objective has been to grow and diversify our funding sources, and we delivered a strong first quarter result. Branch Trace deposit growth was 6% sequentially, marking the eighth consecutive quarter with a very strong increase. Improved diversification of our funding base with strong growth in lower cost branch raised deposits supports net interest margin resilience and revenue growth in this low interest rate environment. Another key strategic objective is to diversify our geographic footprint through accelerated growth in Ontario. And we also delivered a strong first quarter result. Ontario loan growth accounted for over 40% of total loan growth this quarter. While it is early days for a new banking center in Mississauga, its current business pipeline is one of the strongest in the country. Our approach to managing credit risk has proven to be very effective, and we continue to experience low write-offs as a percentage of total loans. While our impaired loans increased in the quarter, the increase is consistent with our expectations. The increase included two specific connections, and we remain confident in the strength, diversity, and underwriting structure of the overall loan portfolio. 
our strategic objective to transform capital management from the standardized approach to the advanced internal ratings-based approach is in the parallel run process. Transition to the AIRB approach for regulatory capital includes tools and processes for day-to-day risk management that better equip us to allocate resources to target business segments that generate the most attractive risk-adjusted returns and conduct stress testing at a very granular level. Karen Graham, our new Chief Risk Officer, expects to use the full year to validate our AIRB tools and processes while we operate under the parallel run. Once complete, we will resubmit our application to OSFI for review in the first half of 2022. Our strong performance reflects our relentless focus on creating unrivaled experiences for our clients. In today's environment, we are combining our responsive personal service with innovative digital solutions. We launched end-to-end digital onboarding for all personal clients in 2020 to allow accounts to be opened online in the immediate with the immediate ability to transact. In 2021, we will deliver the same end-to-end digital onboarding for all small and medium-sized business owners. In addition, through our partnership and collaboration with Temenos, we are creating an innovative solution using their Infinity Digital Banking product with explainable AI to support small and medium-sized business owners. Our new digital program will provide a seamless end-to-end digital banking experience to complement our high-touch personalized service. Our enhanced and targeted digital capabilities enables us to continue to grow and diversify our business across Canada by winning new clients both within and outside our branch footprint while further broadening our access to lower cost funding. We also completed organizational redesign initiatives that enhance our full-service client experience in our target markets by repositioning and consolidating branches in Alberta and British Columbia. Including our branch in Mississauga that opened in August, we opened new branches in both BC and Alberta that feature our refreshed client-inspired design. The initial feedback we've received from both our clients and teams is our new spaces are open and collaborative. We are focused to drive a positive and inclusive culture and employee experience that creates value for our people and a career destination for top talent. Operating as an essential service during the pandemic has provided unique challenges for our client-facing team members in our banking centers. To thank them for their efforts and actions, we provided each of them a one-time bonus in December. We also broadened the resources available to all our teams to build awareness and provide additional support around mental health and wellness. I'm impressed with our team's efforts as we continue to deliver our strategic objectives, transform our capabilities, and deliver strong financial results. Our team's performance and their dedication to our strategy and clients make me proud to lead CWB. I will now turn the call over to Matt, who will provide greater detail on our first quarter performance and improved outlook for 2021. Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone. Turning to slide four, uh, on a full-year basis, BranchRay's deposit growth of 20% reflects our continued focus to grow our full-service relationships with existing and new clients. Demand and notice deposits, our lowest cost source of funding, increased 36% and now accounts for 41% of total funding. That compares to 34% last year. In the quarter, we also issued a $500 million senior deposit note uh, at our longest ever term length of seven years and at an attractive interest rate. 
We continue to drive a reduction in the outstanding balance of broker deposits, which now represent 22% of our total funding, down from 27% last year. Looking at slide five, our total loans increased 6% in the past year, now is supported by 15% growth from our strategically targeted general commercial portfolio and 14% growth in Ontario. Our very strong general commercial growth reflects ongoing efforts to increase full service relationships across our national footprint. Ontario continues to represent a significant proportion of our overall loan growth, and Ontario-based loans now represent 24% of our total loans. Reflecting our current base case expectations for a gradual recovery of the Canadian economy, we continue to expect to deliver mid-single-digit percentage annual loan growth similar to last year. This includes a continued focus on growing in Ontario, in full-service general commercial clients, and with secured loans that offer both an appropriate return and acceptable risk profile. As slide six shows, we had a very strong start to the year, with our teams delivering first quarter financial performance that surpassed our expectations. Our common shareholders' net income increased 10%, and pre-tax pre-provision income increased 9% compared to last year, despite the very low interest rate environment. Adjusted EPS uh, increased by 10 cents from the same quarter last year, and that was with growth of net income adding about 12 cents to EPS. Uh, the 7% increase in net interest income compared to last year reflects the benefit of 6% loan growth, partially offset by a seven basis point decline in net interest margin, uh, which has been fairly stable considering the 150 basis point drop in the Bank of Canada policy rate over that same period. The wealth acquisition added a cent to EPS. That's consistent with our expectations of modest initial contributions to earnings per share at first, uh, with further accretion expected starting next year. Excluding the impact of the wealth acquisition, non-interest income growth provided another cent of EPS, uh, largely from gains on securities. Also excluding the wealth acquisition, our non-interest expenses were up 6% year over year. Uh, that in included the incremental costs associated with operating our AIRB tools and processes and the continued investment in our teams and technology to support strategic execution. Our total provision for credit losses of 18 basis points this quarter was flat to last year and did not contribute to growth in EPS compared to the prior year. Our very strong sequential performance is shown on slide 7. Our common shareholders' net income increased 25% and pre-tax, pre-provision income increased 12% compared to last quarter. Adjusted EPS increased 18 cents from last quarter. A net recovery of $4 million in our estimated provision for credit losses on performing loans, compared to a charge of $12 million last quarter, did provide $0.05, cents, but that was less than a third of the sequential EPS increase. The remaining $0.13 cent increase in EPS uh, was driven by strong core operating performance, with $0.07 cents, uh, from higher net interest income that reflected loan growth and a two-basis point improvement in net interest margin, and five cents of the EPS improvement reflected the expected seasonal decline in certain expenses, and that was partially offset by higher costs associated with operating our AIRB tools and processes uh, for the parallel run, which did commence this quarter. Our delivery of strong revenue growth again this quarter in a very challenging environment is shown on slide eight. Our net interest margin stabilized in the third quarter last year and has continued to build since then. During this quarter, our net interest margin increased by two basis points, as we were able to both drive very strong branch raise deposit growth in demand and notice primarily, while also reducing the interest rates of certain deposit products to capture NIM. 
This benefit was partially offset by the impact of higher cash and securities balances. The continued NIM expansion this quarter, combined with 1% loan growth, generated a 4% sequential growth in net interest income. Turning to slide 9, the credit quality of our portfolio and provision for credit losses continues to reflect the secured nature of our lending portfolio, disciplined underwriting practices, and proactive loan management. The first quarter provision for credit losses on total loans as a percentage of average loans was 18 basis points, flat to pre-pandemic period of Q1 last year and down from 26 basis points last quarter. The estimated provision for credit losses on performing loans was a net recovery of six basis points, compared to a charge of three basis points last year and a charge of 16 basis points last quarter. Last quarter, the performing loan provision charge reflected a further significant deterioration in macroeconomic assumptions related to the estimated economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, and that resulted in a larger proportion of loans classified in Stage 2 last quarter. The recovery this quarter reflected an improvement in near-term economic forecast and resulted in a migration of loans back to Stage 1, with the percentage of loans in Stage 2 dropping from 34% to 13% uh, this quarter. At January 31st, our allowance for credit losses on performing loans totaled $126 million, the decrease of $4 million I previously referenced. Ongoing shifts in macroeconomic factors, portfolio defaults, or increases in the risk rating of our loans will continue to impact the performing loan allowance in future quarters, but we are currently very comfortable with the adequacy of our performing loan allowance at this level. At 24 basis points, our provision on impaired loans was just slightly above our five-year trailing average, uh, well, last year and last quarter were both significantly lower than our historical experience. Um, gross impaired loans at January 31st totaled $284 million. That was about 93 basis points of total loans, up from $257 million or 85 basis points last quarter. Our realized write-offs remain low this quarter, which has been consistent with our historical experience even through periods of elevated levels of gross impaired loan formations. Our solid credit performance reflects our prudent underwriting, the secured nature of our lending portfolio, and our disciplined management of impaired loans through to resolution while limiting realized loan losses. Based on our current outlook for the Canadian economy, as we do describe further in our MDNA, we continue to expect that our total provision for credit losses for fiscal 2021 will remain at elevated levels compared to 2019, a pre-pandemic period, uh, but lower than the provision for credit losses we recognized for the full year of fiscal 2020. We believe we could be on the high end of that range based on the expectation of an increase in gross impaired loan formations through this year. That's consistent with what we've experienced in past recessions. That said, uh, we acknowledge that the current recession is unique, as is the level of government support and stimulus currently being provided, which makes the expected level of impaired loans and provisions required against those loans difficult to predict. As we note on slide 10, our capital ratios remain strong and stable through the volatile economic conditions of the last year. Calculated using the standardized approach, at January 31st, our common equity tier one ratio was 8.8%. That's consistent with last quarter and 30 basis points lower than last year, but that's entirely as a result of our wealth management acquisition. Both our tier one and total capital ratios are above prior year. That reflects the benefit of $175 million of Tier 1 limited recourse capital notes we issued last quarter. At 8.4%, our leverage ratio remains very strong. Uh, 
As Chris noted earlier, our progression towards AIRB approval continues with a parallel run of our tools and processes currently underway. We expect that approval will provide a boost to our regulatory capital ratios compared to the standardized approach. That's due to the more risk-sensitive measurement of risk-weighted assets under AIRB, which will reflect our history of strong credit performance and low loan losses. Yesterday, our board declared a common share dividend of $0.29 cents per share, consistent with the dividend declared last year and last quarter. Looking forward on slide 11, uh, despite the provision for near-term volatility, we continue to expect a gradual recovery of the Canadian economy through 2021. Under this assumption and building off our strong first quarter results, we now expect to deliver mid-single-digit percentage growth of adjusted earnings per common share for fiscal 2021. Higher net interest income is expected to be driven by loan growth and a modest increase in net interest margin compared to last year. That will reflect lower funding cost and strong branch raise deposit growth. We also continue to expect non-interest income growth across all categories in fiscal 2021, with the exception of net gains on securities, where we benefited from some one-time gains last year and do not expect to realize significant gains in the current year. Non-interest income is expected to continue to represent approximately 12% of our total revenue on a full-year basis. We'll continue to make the plan investments in our strategic priorities to deliver an unrivaled experience for our clients. This is expected to drive a higher level of non-interest expenses through the remainder of the year compared to the first quarter. That's based on the timing of these planned expenditures. As the year progresses, we'll ramp up our activity on our project to deliver an enhanced digital banking offering for business clients and that will position us for accelerated and scalable growth as the economy recovers. We do expect to hold our efficiency ratio below 50% on a full-year basis, and that's driven by stronger net interest income growth than previously expected. If we excluded the impact of the wealth acquisition we made last year, we expect that our efficiency ratio would be just outside the upper end of our previous target range of between 45 to 47%. Um, but we look at that as reasonable as we'll continue to make the investments now to position us to capitalize on the growth opportunities that will emerge as the economy recovers. Uh, with that, uh, let's go ahead and open the lines for Q&A. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, as a reminder, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Your first question comes from the line of Paul Holden from the CIBC. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, The guidance you just provided there is very helpful and probably answers some of the questions I had, but... Where I want to start, I guess, is on the uh, branch-based deposit growth. I mean, it's been a strategic priority for a while now, and you have seen good growth in prior quarters, but seem to really accelerate in Q1. Is there, you know, are you gaining increasing traction with the strategy, or is there some kind of market-related tailwind that helped this quarter specifically? Just trying to get a better sense of sustainability around this type of growth rate versus what we've seen uh, previously. Yeah, I'll start and and Chris can pipe in if I miss anything. Um, I mean, really what we've seen this quarter is not much different from what we've seen in previous and that a new client acquisition has been fueling that growth. Um, We did 
convert a lot of clients from lending only to full service this quarter. Uh, on the trust services side of things, we won some new mandates and new clients. So it's really new client acquisition that continues to, to fuel that growth. Uh, we did see a continued increase in our existing levels of cash balances held um, by our existing clients, but new client growth was continued to be the primary uh, driver of that increase. And we continue to expect that to be the case as the year progresses. Of course, some of the cash we do have parked in, in these accounts will unwind, but we believe we can offset that impact with strong growth as the year progresses. Okay, great. Um, and then just in terms of the uh, release of performing allowances, and I get the mechanics behind it and the economic model assumption updates. But when you look at you know actual credit performance and what you're he what you're hearing from your customers, was there anything in there that gave you additional confidence to release reserves uh, today? Yeah. So the the macroeconomic factors you've highlighted. I mean that was especially helpful to our personal uh, retail lending portfolio. Uh, it was an improvement in unemployment and house price outlook that uh, was a bit more bullish than what you'd see we would have used last quarter as, as assumptions into the models. On the commercial lending side, uh, we've seen something uh, that's different from what we had expected last quarter. We had presumed that um, default and delinquency rates would really start ramping up here. Uh, on delinquency especially, we've actually seen the exact opposite happen through the last quarter. Uh, we saw the overall level of delinquency in our commercial lending book decrease and actually decrease to a level even below pre-pandemic levels. So uh, that, that's different than what we would have expected last quarter and did fuel uh, a, a bit of our recovery uh, in our performing loan allowance right now. Um, but we like where we are in, in terms of an overall performing loan allowance as a, as a base and working from here as the year progresses. Uh, we feel like it's adequate and able to absorb some of the volatility uncertainty we'll see here. Um, yeah, we're pretty comfortable right now, Paul. So just a follow-up on your, your comment regarding delinquencies coming in lower than expected. Do you feel this is simply a delay and maybe it comes in future quarters or do you feel the economic improvement and government stimulus and you know low borrowing costs etc have really permanently um, impacted where delinquencies will go um, this cycle well i think borrowing costs definitely help um, we do anticipate and and have experienced in past um, economic downturns a bit of a delay, right, where you do have companies that hang on, hang on, hang on, and then things turn, and they don't have the working capital to go forward. So, I mean, we are going to monitor it very closely, but uh, we anticipate that uh, we would, you know, our guidance would be that we expect to see on the on the impaired side more on the impaired side of the uh, of the PCL than on the than on the uh, performing side of the PCL. Okay, I got it. I'll uh, I'll wrap it up there. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Minnie Grumman from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, question on, on the guidance. It seems, uh, you know, given the, the results you put up this quarter, um, that it's very conservative, or I would even say very, very conservative, and it seemed like you could do much better. Like, if I look at uh, EPS in 2020 at 293, and then factoring in the 93 cents that you did this quarter, I mean, mid-single digits would imply an average of 72 cents per quarter 
for the rest of the year. So that really seems low. So I'm trying to understand kind of what I'm missing here and, and how you're thinking about or how, how you get to that mid-single digit uh, result, g again, g given what you put up. And then also it sounds like you are more positive about the outlook than you were uh, even in Q4. Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll help you unpack that, Manny. So uh, performing loan uh, provision for credit losses, we expect to remain stable. Uh, what we do see as we think about total PCL looking forward uh, would be an increase from current levels. Uh, I mean, if we're thinking about, you know, the earlier uh, guidance I provided in the prepared remarks of sort of being on the higher end of a, a range of PCL in 2019 to 2020 of call it, you know, 21 to 32 basis points, we're, we're, our current base expectation is to end up at the high end of that range. So. 30 basis points or so, somewhere in that magnitude. Uh, so if you just take the 18 basis points we were this quarter and think about in the 30s for the remainder of the year, uh, that would drive about an 11 cent or so decline in earnings per share from a Q1 level. Uh, the other thing I referenced was the fact that last year we did have some gains we recognized in rebalancing our liquidity portfolio at, at the onset of COVID. Uh, overall for the year, we had about $9.5 million of those gains, and those really started in Q2 and then did decline as the year progressed. But uh, on an average basis, that gives us about a $0.02 cent headwind earnings per share. And then the other uh, big factor here that I think might be getting missed um, we issued LRCNs in October of last year. Those are semi-annual coupon payments, and we make our first semi-annual coupon uh, coming up in Q2 in, in April. Uh, the, the coupon on those uh, is about uh, five cents or so of an earnings per share drag that will hit us in Q2 and Q4. Um, so I suspect that fills in most of your delta, Manny. Okay, I mean, that helps me understand all those points. I guess. Um, you know, j just to sum it up, um, you know, on the credit side, going back to your answer to, to Paul's question, it, it does sound like, I mean, you're being prudent in your outlook for credit, but uh, it, it sounds like it could surprise uh, and, and come in better than expected uh, given recent trends. It, it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I just want to see if, if you would agree with that uh, uh, assessment that you're just not sure. You're basing your outlook more on typical kind of uh, credit cycles, but but uh, but there is a chance here that that the credit could actually uh, outperform what you, what you're uh, what you're guiding us to. Is that correct? Yes, we're we're, we're maintaining a conservative outlook on credit. Um, you know, we we believe we've got a very strong, uh, well underwritten, highly secure portfolio that uh, you know we mo we monitor closely. But you know, we're we're just making sure that we are. You know, be very proactive as we think about guidance on credit as we come out of the uh, pandemic. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Benny. Your next question comes from the line of Doug Young from Desjardins Capital. Your line is open. Good morning. I just wanted to stick maybe with the, the guidance, Matt. You know, what level of runoff in deposits are you factoring into your guidance around NIM? Are you, are you assuming that it's going to stay at the same, the branch raise deposits will stay at the same percentage of your total funding? Do you expect it to go up or down? Are you factoring in a bit of runoff as, as the economy gets going and people start to spend? Just try to get a sense of that. 
Yeah, it's a good question. Yes, we are. Uh, we do not look at the, the 6% sequential growth we put up this quarter as our sort of ongoing sequential growth run rate in those deposits. I mean, we really had zero runoff in, uh, in the first quarter here. So we, we would expect that sequential growth to taper down. That's our base case assumption. Uh, of course, if we don't see that happen or we continue to uh, grow new clients such that it completely offsets and then some uh, the runoff. I mean, that is something that could provide some upside to our expectations on NIM and, and therefore earnings. Okay. And then the second, just on, uh, on your non-interest expense ratio, you, you talk a bit about seasonality, you know, quarter to quarter. Is that just the fact that this quarter was a little bit light because you of a timing perspective, or is there just naturally from quarter to quarter going to be more seasonality, um, as we move through the year? And, and if so, can you just maybe flush that out? Yeah, Q4 is always a bit higher. Uh, we have typically some year-end training activities, uh, a bit of a marketing push that happens in that fourth quarter. And in Q1, those activities are typically much lighter and that will continue to be the case uh, this year. The other thing that maybe is a bit outside of seasonal factors, but really a, just a timing of, of when the project scope is, is rolling out is, is our digital project. It's been focused on the personal retail side of things and onboarding for personal clients. That's a, a lighter lift. Uh, that wrapped up through the first quarter. And it's really second quarter onwards where we ramp up the, the big digital build, which is on our digital offering for small business and, and medium-sized enterprises. Uh, that, that's a heavier lift, but also one that's more impactful to our growth rate looking forward once we get that over the finish line. So it's a case of buckling down and getting that project done, which will incur some upfront expense, but positions us for a really good growth trajectory coming out of it. Okay, and then just lastly, on the performing loan release, I'm just trying to get a sense that I get the fact that there was migration and the economic environment um, and BFLIs improved. Did you did you make any changes in your model such that the to, to temper the, the the amount of the release? Like, did you change your weightings to the pessimistic or to be more towards the pessimistic scenario? Did you? I'm just trying to get a sense of if this release could have been a lot larger, but you you're, you, you tried to bring that back a little bit through other means. Yeah, when we look at our at our provision for performing loan losses, I mean it's. One element is what uh, what our models tell us. The other element is expert credit judgment, and that's a consideration of you know when you look at our base case, do we see more upside potential or downside risk? Uh, I'd, I'd say you know looking forward, it, it's it's a bit murky in terms of how how vaccine rollout incurs, uh, how the economy responds to that. So. Uh, I, I'd say our performing loan provision for credit losses appropriately reflects the uncertainty and forward-looking outlook for the economy uh, and does give us the ability to absorb some volatility as we work forward. So you, you did, essentially. You used your expert credit judgment to kind of rein in the amount that would have otherwise been released. Is that? We left ourselves feeling very comfortable with our performing loan allowance. Okay. Perfect. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Nigel D'Souza from Vertius Investment Research. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. I wanted to touch on deposits, and apologies if you already uh, went over this, but I was wondering if you could expand on 
uh, your expectations for how your funding mix will shift through 2021. And uh, if you see deposits draining at a, at a higher rate as the economy reopens or what your expectations are for deposits as we, as we move uh, throughout the year and what, uh, what do you expect that to translate to in, in terms of the margin uh, pickup? Yeah, we do expect, even though, yes, we do expect some runoff in deposits. We, on balance for the year, uh, we do expect our branch raise deposits to continue to be the, the strongest growth we see in our deposit mix. Uh, they'll continue to grow from here, albeit not at, not at the same level we put up in Q1. And that will help our, our net interest margin. Uh, if you look at just this quarter, uh, I mean, we, we got a lift of a couple basis points or so just from our, our shift in mix and, and the growth in branch raise deposits. And, and we continue to expect that even through the, uh, an economic recovery to support stability in our, in our NIM and upside potential. Um, working through a recovery here. So, you know, mix of deposits uh, in terms of how it looks right now uh, likely won't be materially different when you look at how we, we exit the year, and, and that'll be uh, but a little bit more weight to, to the branch raise deposit component reflecting the continued growth we still expect to deliver. Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful color. Thank you. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Saurabh Mabade from BMO Capital Markets. I just wanted to ask a clarifying question, uh, just for crystal clarity. Is the, is the color you provided around the AIRB conversion suggesting that it's probably a, you know, the benefits to shareholders are probably unlikely to be fully realized until the earliest uh, fiscal 2023? I'll start and Chris can add. Um, you know, our goal would be to submit our AIRB application uh, as soon as we're ready and also uh, timing when we believe we'll have the highest likelihood for both an approval, obviously, is our primary objective, but secondary objective is to uh, negotiate the most favorable capital floor that we can um, coming with our approval. And so that, that's our goal, and that's what we're trying to time. I'd say if you look at the range we provided of within, you know, resubmission to OSFI within the first half of 2022, uh, the front end of that range is, remains credible. Uh, the back end of that range would be us optimizing timing and looking towards uh, the outcome we're trying to achieve. If we hit the back end of that range, uh, then yes, I'd say depending on how long it would take OSFI to work through our application, which is out of our control, uh, we could be looking at a later in the year 2022, maybe pushing into 2023, um, but that would be the outside end of our expectations on timing. And, and Matt, just for crystal, or maybe just for additional color, uh, you know, uh, this go around, uh, how long did us did it take OSFI to suggest that you run a parallel year? Since, you know, from the time you submitted the application to the time they said, let's take another year of parallel runs. How long did that process take? Yeah, it was in or around the six-month range. So it Submitted in late March. probably then. If, if we resubmit to them at the back end of the range we provided, yes. Um, but as I said, the 
front end and anywhere within that range remains a credible outcome. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Lamar Broussard from Cormark. Your line is open. Thanks. Just continue along that that uh, that thought process on the uh, AIRB update. Is there? Are you guys seeing any issues being identified which could suggest that it would be pushed out a, a little bit further? The go live. I would say we. So so Lamar, it's it's a the the process we're running is. We're, of course, we're in a very significant economic situation compared to uh, the more benign times prior to uh, March of last year when the pandemic was declared. So that's got to, you know, as we think about managing the portfolio and ensuring the parallel run, we're, we have put in place all of the processes for us to implement, manage and report ARRB, which has been a significant investment in our branch um, origination, underwriting, reporting, Structure. We've supported it all with uh, a very significant investment in our uh, computer infrastructure. Um, so we 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 see ourselves in um, in 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 you know pretty good shape. So we're working hard towards that. Um, so Carolyn has stepped into the role of CRO um, and wants to just make sure that everything that we are doing is 100% um, validated. Um, so running it for four quarters is really is the plan. So that's where we we. We changed our, our messaging to say that we'd be running parallel for for fiscal 2021, and with the view that we'd be report, um, putting forward that uh, the results and that resubmission in uh, 2022. So the point at which we, as Matt just explained, it depends if it's the front end or back end. That would be where we're comfortable. You know, we'd be comfortable that as we work through this process, we're happy with it all, um, and uh, I would say we built all of the plumbing, we're happy with the structures, the, our, our teams are working well, it's giving us great feedback, it's helping us on stress testing. So the benefits that we're seeing from it are already tangible. And again, we just wanna make sure as we go forward, we just put you know, put our the absolute correct foot forward and that's what we will do. Okay, thanks. And then uh, just moving on to the loan growth outlook. I think I heard you, you uh, suggest that it's you're sticking with the uh, mid-single-digit growth outlook for, for 2021. But, you know, when I think about what's changed between last quarter and uh, today, there's been a significant momentum in energy. So why why are you guys sticking with the, uh, the mid-single-digit uh, loan growth target? Why not move up to, say, high single-digit or low double-digit? Just your thoughts around that. Well, you know, I think we'll, we will be prudent as we think about uh, loan growth opportunities. We are, I mean, there's definitely the improvements in, in, in the price of oil is, uh, is a positive, and uh, certainly that's helpful for Alberta, which is still 31% of our total loans. Um, you know, we are, we are focused to grow our bank in a, you know, prudent, disciplined manner. Um, you know, clearly, you know, if, the, if that puts some tailwinds into Alberta, that would be fantastic. But, you know, we will be stepping forward uh, in, in our normal fashion and, uh, you know, making sure that we're building the book that we want to build. We've got the right funding structures. We're allocating capital appropriately and uh, taking on the risk that meets, meets our risk appetite. Yeah, I'd say to add, I mean, in our in our guidance, I mean, we're presuming 
a lot of our growth comes from uh, market share wins and not necessarily from the economy providing a lot of tailwind in our sales. If the economy did, then that could suggest there's further upside. Okay, thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Gabriel DeShane from National Bank. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Uh, sorry if I missed this, but uh, you know we saw the uh, gross impaired loans move higher in uh, commercial mortgages and oil and gas uh, loans. Uh, did you take a provision against those? Because sometimes we talk about that as in uh, you know you got, you're fully secured or whatever. Yeah, so as we look at our gross impaireds, um, we, we, we called out uh, two connections that um, increased in particular for the formations, and one mm-hmm. in the commercial market side and one in the oil and gas side, and the answer is yes, we have a provision on both of those. Okay, and then and I'm not trying to go negative on credit here, actually the opposite. In the past, you know, when you have these, uh, you know, big impaired loan numbers, the bank has said, you know, the, the numbers can stay elevated for quite some time because it's a difficult and lengthy resolution process. Uh, could we see it, uh, you know, drop faster than it would have historically because there's so much liquidity out there. The the secondary market looking for uh, investment opportunities is, is, is so active and desperate, I guess, uh, maybe not the right choice of words, but could could we see easier or easier certainly, but also faster resolution of some of these uh, these impairments? Well, I would say that we do our best to resolve these as quickly as possible. We've got a really right. strong team that manages our uh, our high risk loans, and uh, we, as as we've explained in prior quarters, we bolstered that, and um, we've got a, a strong leader and and uh, and a really uh, good uh, working team to to manage our processes and uh, if we have early exits we would be keen for those of course because then you you know just frees up capacity to work on other things but uh, yeah we will be as uh, proactive as possible in resolution for sure uh, but with the you know the clear goal that we, we look we don't look to exit just to exit we want to maximize our returns Mm-hmm. Well, that's. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting yeah. you don't have no, the, fair the capacity. I'm, I'm wondering if market <laughs> dynamics are such that it could be easier. And then you talk about uh, maximizing returns. Like the likelihood of recoveries could even be greater uh, because the the, the 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 liquidity out there is just so so elevated. Is it, are you seeing that, or do you anticipate it that being something that could actually be an underappreciated uh, uh, boost to you from a from a like your you know. Yeah, to be frank, I mean, we've seen some great resolutions of, you know, coming up to this quarter and we will Mm -hmm. continue working for it. But, you know, I I couldn't actually put my finger on that right now to say that, yes, you've absolutely seen that. But um, every situation is often quite different. And, uh, you know, we just manage the facts as they present themselves. Yeah, fair enough. And and then just a quick, the the commercial mortgage, can you tell me a bit, like what, what kind of property it was? Oh, it's an industrial property. In oh, okay. yeah. yeah. All right. Well, have a good weekend. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Gabe. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Marcel McLean from TD Securities. Your line is open. Okay. Thank you. 
just wanted to go back to expenses for a minute. Uh, there, uh, there's been a number of sort of moving pieces in that line item, and I understand there's their seasonality within it too, but just wonder if you could provide some guidance sort of uh, what you're looking for on a full year basis, uh, sort of growth versus 2020 or even compared to 2019. Yeah, it's not looking really much different than, than we thought last quarter. I mean, we're still planning on making the investments we plan to make. That, that hasn't changed. So, I mean, that's driving NIE growth uh, on a growth basis kind of in that mid-teens as a percentage year over year. Uh, a big chunk of that is is the wealth management acquisition. You know, you back that out. Uh, you're now down kind of in that high single-digit percentage growth year over year. Uh, a chunk of that is is ARB and going live and starting to operate those models. Um, you know, you, you start backing that out, and you're now down to a level of NIE growth that, likely doesn't look uh, much different than the revenue growth we're expecting for the year. And it's kind of similar in what you're seeing shake out on the efficiency ratio and, you know, excluding the wealth acquisition being sort of in that 48% range um, uh, for on a full year basis. That, that's, that's what we're seeing. I mean, embedded within that outlook, we have presumed that, you know, things like travel, business development, um, you know, employee training costs, like those all start ticking back to normal at, at some point this year. And I mean, that remains to be seen. We'll see what happens with um, with vaccine rollout and maybe there's the opportunity to to avoid some of those expenses, but that's not included in our outlook right now. Uh, pretty consistent with last quarter is what we're seeing. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Saurabh Mavane from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Um, Matt, you've done a really good job giving uh, a pretty good transparency into expectations. One last one. Where do you think your effective tax rate is going to go? Is it going to trend higher or do you think it's going to stay where it's at? No, it's going to trend down. We had um, some deferred tax noise this quarter, a bit of remeasurement on on some of our deferred tax assets and liabilities that did drive up the effective rate uh, a bit beyond where we might have expected in Q1. On a full year basis, you know, at year end, uh, we guided towards 110 basis point decline year over year in effective tax rate. Uh, that's probably pretty consistent, but with Q1 being a bit higher, we're probably more like 90 to 100 basis points of year over year decline. So an annual effective tax rate in kind of that 20. 5.3-ish range is what we'd expect. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. That concludes Q&A this morning. I now turn the call back over to Chris Fowler for closing remarks. Thanks a lot, operator. We're very happy with the strong start to the year. Our performance benefits from the strategic investments we deployed. Our more diversified funding supports our net interest margin and our expanded footprint in Ontario supports diversification and growth. The integration and growth of our wealth management business is meeting our expectations. We recognize and are working to manage the near-term COVID-19 volatility and are ready to prudently support the trajectory of the expected economic recovery. We remain confident in the solid foundation of our secured, high-quality credit portfolio and know how to capitalize on opportunities that emerge as the economy rebounds. Our, on, our coming digital platform will further optimize our business to deliver future opportunities through unrivaled experiences for our clients. In closing, 
We appreciate your continued support as we build momentum and unlock opportunities to accelerate our growth. Thank you for your confidence in CWB. We look forward to reporting second quarter financial results on May 28th. With that, we wish you all a good day. Thank you. That concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.